Well, good evening, everybody. I hope you had a good afternoon. So good to see you back tonight. And uh, last month, I had an opportunity to share with you, and we talked about the rapture. Some of you may have been here that night. And so uh, you may remember that. And I want to just uh, take a little while to not, not, not too long, but just share with you um, a message really out of some personal study. I'll get to that in just a moment. That's sort of tethered to what uh, I spoke about last month. But before we get to that, I, I just have a question for you. How many of you remember back when you were in high school, you decided that you were going to try out for one of the sports teams? How many of you, you ever determined, hey, you looked around, you said, I think I can do that sport, and you said, I'm going to try out and just see what happens. And so I'd grown up, dad got me involved in sports when I was really, really young, like uh, five, uh, barely turned five, got me involved in baseball, and then later football, and so played, and then so I, you know, just kept playing year after year. I got to high school my freshman year, and I thought, well, you know, all they can say is no, I'm going to go out for the varsity baseball team as a freshman. And I did that. And, I'm, and I made it. We've been talking about miracles during this series, and that, that was like a miracle to make. And then I thought, well, I made the, the baseball team as a, a freshman, the varsity team. And then I looked around some of the other sports, and I said, well, probably basketball is not my deal. And, you know, there's enough other guys that are my height, six, four, and taller. And uh, I know my spine has settled slightly over the years. But uh, I'm like, basketball's not going to be my sport. And then I thought, well, you know what? I mean, the, the baseball team, I think I'll go out for the football team, the varsity football team as a freshman. And that's just, I, I'm sort of uh, passionate about doing that. And I can remember the day when we were supposed to pick up our pads and our helmets to get ready, you know, all of that to get ready to try out for the team. And I walked in there into the locker room to pick up my pads and helmet. And I just looked around a little bit at the size of all the other guys, especially the juniors and the Caesar, uh, seniors. And uh, my spiritual gift is ordinarily not discernment, but I felt Jesus say to me, don't play this sport. Just don't do it. You know, don't do this. And so I didn't. And so there were some teams that appealed to me. Of course, my first love was baseball and played that, you know, throughout. But uh, I never thought, looking back, I never thought, although our high school, like your high school, I'm sure, had uh, cross-country teams running. I never thought about doing that. I never thought about running track or doing any of those kind of things. But it's funny, later on when I graduated from high school and college, I developed this ferocious uh, love for running and did it up into a few years ago when I had a torn meniscus in my knee and went to see our good doctor, Dr. Fisher, and he uh, did a little surgery on my knee. And, and he didn't say this verbatim, but this is close enough. He said, uh, I, I said, I've run a lot, you know, over the years, year after year. I know I've been pounding my knees. And, and he said, you know, I think you need to find another, you know, thing to work out in that regard. And I didn't really want to hear that. But then he got my attention when he said, well, you can keep running if you want to. You can. You can keep running if you want to. But next surgery I'll do for you, I'll just probably replace the whole knee. And I'm like, well, that got my attention. I can... I can find something else to do, and I did, something that I, I love and enjoy doing. But uh, some of you, you grew up running, or later, like me, you decided that you would develop a love for running, and you did. And whether you're running or racing competitively or recreationally, why do you just love to see at the end of your journey? If you've ever been a runner, how many of you have ever been a runner, or let's say a spirited walker? How many of you have ever been a spirited walker? And uh, you love it when you get to the end, because always, even if it's like not a tangible line or marker. How many of you always love the finish line? The finish line is a good thing, isn't it? We all love the finish line. Now, you may not think about this very often, but 
even now, right now, for you, for me, for all of us that are in this sanctuary tonight, we are engaged in the most important race of our life. And this race that we're involved in, this race of life, is actually our life. And at the end of our life, there's a finish line that is waiting for us all. Do you agree with that? And so to guide us tonight, I want us to unpack the words of Paul, a veteran church leader in the first century who experienced, by the way, a rigorous race of his own. And, um, you know, by the way, up until recently, I never had studied this passage in detail. I had alluded to it in messages before. I've read it numerous times in my personal devotion, and I read it so much, and I've heard so much about it, but I'm like, I've just never personally, like, dug into this to see, you know, what Paul is saying here. So I just went on this, uh, you know, sort of personal journey to I'm going to dig into this. And I never intended when I first started, you know, digging into it, ever like develop a, a talk from it. But from that, I'm like, oh, man, you know what I'm seeing in this and what, you know, Paul is saying here, this is something. So I put together a, a message that I shared uh, several months ago out at Lakeside. But what I want to do for the time that we have remaining is I want to take a look at Paul's second letter, to a young leader by the name of Timothy, and a lot of you are like me. You've read it again and again and again. You've seen this passage so many times, but I think you're going to learn something tonight that maybe you've never seen before, and I think this is going to be incredibly helpful to us all because it was helpful to me when I really started digging into it. So let's look. You've seen it before. 2 Timothy chapter 4, two verses. This is Paul, and he's writing to Timothy this letter, and he said... I have, read these four words with me. I'm going to need your help tonight, so will you help me? I have fought the good fight. I have, what's these next words? Finish the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. We're going to come back to this. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, and we're going to need to mention that a little later, will award to me on that day and not only to me, let's all read these four words, help me out, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And you've read this. How many of you have read this just countless numbers of times? And I've read it again and again so many times, I can't even tell you the number of times I had read that in my personal devotion time. But I want to get into just some brief background, won't have a chance to share it all with you, but in the time that we have, some brief background here. When Paul was writing another letter, not this letter to Timothy, and he wrote all these letters, sometimes, you know, there's these prison epistles. It's like letters that he wrote while he was incarcerated. And so he's writing a letter to uh, Timothy here. He writes, uh, Philippians is actually one of his prison epistles or prison letters. And, and while Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians, he had hoped that he would actually be, give, be given more time and more opportunity to continue in his ministry, and he was actually granted that, uh, but now he's coming toward the end of his life. Uh, how many of you remember this statement that Paul made? He made statements like this. He said, uh, you know, I, I, I have a desire to be among you. I'd like to hang out with you, basically, is what he's saying. I'd like to be around you. I'd like to continue in this ministry that God has given me and, you know, continue that ministry with you, but then he said something like this. It's like, but, you know, to depart to be with Christ, how many know he's talking about dying? He said, to depart to be with Christ is so much better. 
You know, I just, you know, he wasn't fatalistic. He was just like, you know what? When I really look at the landscape of my life and everything that is ahead of me and everything that is before me and what awaits me in eternity, you know, it would be great to depart and be with Christ. But maybe this is not the time. Maybe God is not yet finished with me here on earth. Maybe there is a job that he has for me to do. So like he, you know, not in a serious way, but it's like he negotiates with God. He gets a little more time. But this is now not the case. Paul, by the time we come to what he's saying to Timothy, he now, and we see it in his language, he conveys a sense of finality. For him, this is it. He is declaring Paul is, and I'd seen this so many times, but I didn't really understand it profoundly, all that was sort of happening behind the scenes. He declares that his fight, that his race is over. Now, just a moment ago, you saw his words on the screen with me here in verse 7, and we're going to come to that. We're going to hang out there for just a little bit. Here in verse 7, Paul makes three statements. You all just saw them. And he uses, I had not noticed this before, but when he makes these statements, he uses a verb in the perfect tense to express each of his accomplishments. And this is how it plays out. This is what he said. You've read it many times before. I have too. He said, I have fought. It seems to have a past tense about it, doesn't it? I have fought. I've been involved in this. We need to talk about it. I have fought. He said, I have. There's that perfect tense of a verb again. I have. It's like I've already done this. It's sort of behind me. I have finished. I have kept. A number of years ago, I read a book by Carrie Shook, and some of you may have read the book as well, One Month to Live. Actually, around that time, we did a series around that, that, uh, that book. And in there, he states this. It's one paragraph in the book, and I'll just read it to you briefly. Shook write this, writes this, God puts you on this earth for a reason, and he has a plan for your life. How many of you believe that? And he's got a plan for your life. But this life is not the end. Scripture is very clear about this reality. One day you will stop breathing, but you won't stop living. How many of you know we'll actually just start living? So we'll stop breathing, but we won't stop living. You'll live forever in eternity. One moment after you die, listen closely to what he writes. One moment after you die, you'll experience either the greatest celebration ever or the greatest separation ever. That's what he's saying. So if we're up for it, let's take a little journey together. I'm going to walk you through it rather quickly, but I think God has something for all of us tonight. 2 Timothy 4.7, the A part. And we're going to just talk about it for a moment. Let's read this. It's very brief. So let's all, 100%, all full voice, read it together. You're going to help me? Here we go. I have fought the good fight. How many of you believe that Paul knew a little bit about battles? Uh, for Paul, you think he ever looked back on his life and he said, you know what? Things really got tough once I became a Christian. You're like, like my life was not really, you know, I was persecuting. How many of you know Paul essentially was a terrorist? And that's what he was. He was persecuting Christians. I mean, when he has this whole Damascus Road encounter and, you know, Jesus' blinding light falls from the horse, like, who are you, Jesus? And Paul, it's me, Jesus. And why are you persecuting me? And, and he was on his way to continue doing what he had, you know, committed himself to do. And that is to be a, a, a persecutor against those who were, who were involved in Christianity. 
And so it's like his life once he becomes a Christian. Most of you know that, that uh, the Apostle Peter, and I'm not going to get too technical tonight, but it's like the Apostle Peter that God uses him, and he is a Jew, and he has a ministry to Jews, and he goes, and then uh, that uh, God raises up uh, Paul, and Paul was a Jewish. He, in fact, his tradition is education. You know, he says, in fact, at one point in the Scriptures, I was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, meaning I like I had some of the most sophisticated, greatest teaching because I learned from the very best but, but Paul, actually, God raised him up, and he started to ministry to Gentiles. And I, I mentioned this not too long ago at, at Lateside. It's interesting, and it creates a little tension, and we sometimes don't like that when we read the Bible. But how many of you know that Paul and, and, and Peter got into an argument? Is that okay? Are you okay with that? They, like, have a disagreement, and they chose, you know, we're going to part ways, and I'm going to take this one, and you take, and we're going to go, and, and later, certainly, they come back together, and Peter has an encounter in the home of Cornelius, and he says, hey, you know, I do know that God, and, and so we've talked about that before, but here is Paul, and it's like once he commits his life to Christ, and now he's not a persecutor of Christianity, but he's a leader among Christianity, he is embattled, it seems like, on every front criticized every time he turned around, rejected, betrayed, beaten, sleepless nights he talks about. I was hungry. I was misunderstood. I was in prison. We'll come to this at the end of this message. Ultimately martyred for his faith because of his commitment to Jesus. Just listen to some of his words. It's not on the screen. This is him describing some of his battles because you saw what he said in verse A, I have fought the good fight. And this is what Paul says. This is in a letter to believers in Corinth. He says this. He said, I know what it is to be in danger from bandits in danger from my fellow Jews. They've been angry with me. In danger from Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles were mad at me. The Jews were mad at me. In danger in the city. So I go to the country. In danger in the country. In danger from false believers. It's like everywhere I turn, there's a battle that is confronting me. And so we have this guy, this tremendous church leader who wrote over half of the New Testament outside of Jesus, more influential than anybody else. This strong, courageous church leader was totally unfamiliar with what an easy life is all about. And he's just saying, again, it's sort of at that imperative tense. He said, I fought. I've been fighting. He's at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. And it's not been easy. And you know, can I tell you this? And maybe you're not going to like hearing it, but I need to tell you nevertheless, when you signed up for Christianity, you didn't sign up for an easy life. You didn't sign up for an easy life. How many of you have already, you didn't even need me to tell you that. You knew that already. We didn't sign up for an easy life. And yet Paul kept right in moving, kept right on reaching, kept right on fighting. But what about us? You know, I think about that so often. Have we become soft as Christians? Are we all in with Jesus when it's easy to be all in with Jesus? As long as our life is painless and uncomplicated, are we like, yep, I'm all in with Jesus. But what do we do when life is not always that way? Because I'm just telling you, life is not always that way. Your life is not always an easy life. My life, your, Paul's life. I mean, the greatest people, a lot of times, I don't, I don't know where we get this notion. We think, well, you know, God owes me like an easy life, like a comfortable life, like a great life. And then we look at every major person that was ever used by God, male and female, young and old, and they all faced enormous amounts of battles. And we're like, Jesus, I'm signed up for the easy life. I, I chose that form of Christianity. And there's not that form of Christianity. And Paul's just saying, I fought the fight. What do we do? What do we do when we have questions? How many of you are like me? There's some questions you have not yet had answered, and you're probably not going to have answered until you get to heaven. Questions, doubts, and fears. 
and setbacks and pain. Have you ever wondered, you know, how can I be going through this? I love Jesus. I'm devoted to Jesus. I'm doing the right things. I'm committed to a small group. I'm serving in ministry. I'm tithing. I'm faithful in church. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a, a CEO Christian. Christ, uh, Christmas and Easter only. I'm, I'm like there all the time. And you would think that, you know, God would be like giving me a break here. But why am I faced with challenges? And Paul would hear that, quite honestly, if he were here tonight. And that would be nice in a lot of ways. It would have saved me a lot of time this afternoon, by the way. But Paul, aside from that, Paul would challenge us. If he were standing here, he would challenge us. And he'd probably look at us and say, come on now. Really? You're going to complain about that? You're going to get frustrated about that? And he would challenge us and encourage us to keep on fighting, to stay in the ring, to stay in the game. At the end of his life, Paul stood there, and he's looking back, and he said, I want you to know I've, I've been everywhere, done about everything you could do, but this is what I realized. I have finished. I have fought the good fight. Secondly, how many of you are with me? Wave your hand at me like this. All right, back to verse 7, the B part. I fought the good fight. Now look at this. You did great last time. Help me read again. I have finished the race. His life is behind him, not in front of him. This is not the time when he's saying, Lord, give me a little bit more time. He's, he's for all intents and purposes, he's at the end. Now, Bible scholars believe that Paul's statement here is connected to some very important words that he actually shares with some first century Christians living in Philippi. This is what he tells him. This is not on the screen, but um, scholars see a correlation between what he says to Timothy here, I finished the race, and what he says to believers living in Philippi. When he says to them, he again, motivating, encouraging them, trying to infuse them with some hope, he said, hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, listen to this now, that I did not run, I did not labor in vain. It's interesting to me, perhaps it will be to you as well, that Paul is not claiming to have won the race. How many of you have got a competitive nature? Uh, we want to win. We want to win every, every, every competition that we're engaged in. And um, I, I played golf this past Monday, and it's one of the few times that I can say that I beat all the other players. And I felt good about that. It's so rare. It is so rare. I'm such a horrible golfer. For those, how many of you are golfers? Let me just see your hand. I don't want to say I'm a bad golfer, but I just had to have my ball retriever regrip. That's how bad I am. But I beat these three players, and it felt really good to come in first place. I can remember back, you know, there really was Royal Rangers when I was young. There really was such a thing. And I was involved in Royal Rangers, and I can remember these, like, these mean, cruel, not like the leaders we have in our church, these mean, cruel, uh, decided that we needed to have an obstacle course, all the Rangers. And it sort of was like the, the running, and I, I didn't want to do the cross country. I didn't want to. And so this, I mean, it was this race that they set up for us, speaking of races, was not inspired by God. It was not. It was from an entirely other source. And I can remember because I was so competitive, and I didn't like what I was going to be competing in. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to run. I'm going to do my best. And went through this crazy uh, demonically inspired obstacle course, 
And I got to the end, and I get a trophy, but it was a second-place trophy. And I didn't want the second-place trophy. I wanted the first-place trophy. How many of you, does that resonate with anybody here? And it's what you've got to love about Paul. Paul never claimed, never claimed to have won the race. He is thankful. Listen to this now. He is thankful and content to have simply stayed the course. You know what I've come to understand because I'm getting a little older. These, you know, I, these gray hairs, they're highlights. They look, they look authentic. But, you know, the older that I get, the more that I realize, the more I value and appreciate that there is something to be said for endurance. You ever look at people that are a lot older than you and they're just staying, uh, people right here in our church that are inspirational to us and you just look at their life. And I, I've been here about 18 years. Some of you have been here a lot longer than that. And there's just certain people that they have walked faithfully and consistently with God year after year after year. And they're not perfect, but they have stayed the course and they are faithful and they may not win the race, but there is something to be said for endurance when people say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to press on even when life is not easy. I'm going to keep moving. That was Paul. And the choice is ours. We can either be a quitter or we can finish strong. Because there's always going to be things in life. Listen, you need to hear this. There will always be things in life that will persuade you to quit. Life is not fair. Things don't go your way. Things don't go my way. But do we quit? And there's always going to be the persuasion to quit, to quit on a righteous life, to just say, why do I keep living like this? Why do I keep living a righteous life when I see so many other people that they're not living a righteous kind of life? Uh, why don't I just quit church? Because I don't like everything always. The, you know, why don't I just quit my faith? Why don't I quit full devotion to Jesus and like go part, like half in, half out, and, you know, just be a part of the world a little bit, part of the church based on what's going on in my life. There is something, my friends, to be said for endurance when we just keep pressing on. And Paul said, you know what? Looking back over my life, I've come to this reality. And he was not being braggadocious. He said, but I can say this. I've not only fought the good fight, I have also finished the race. I finished it. I finished. Stayed true to Jesus even when it wasn't easy to. Paul's third statement, C part. Back to verse 7. Look at it with me, everybody. Can we read it? I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. While I was digging in on the research side of this passage, a great question that is raised by many theologians is when Paul mentions the faith, and again, I'm not going to get too technical here. I want to keep moving. But when Paul mentions the faith, is he referencing a body of doctrine, the faith, a body of doctrine as he did on numerous other occasions, or is he talking about his own personal faith? And here's the conclusion that bright minds came to. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he was talking about a body of doctrine, you know, the faith, or was he talking about his own personal faith? Could have been, you know, either or. It could have been both. The answer actually is either is possible. In other words, we don't know for sure. But there's some things we ought to know for sure. Eternity. Can I mention that to you for a moment? Eternity is way too important to leave to chance. Eternity is way too important to leave to a roll of the dice, to cover the spread, to beat the odds, because our next home, do you ever think about this fundamentally thinking now, that your next home is for, you're a forever home, that the next season of your life is your forever season? 
You ever think about that? And not a single person in this entire world will ever get a free pass into heaven. You're not going to show Jesus any special cards. And Jesus says, oh, that's, that's good, that's good. You, good words, great, great. I, I'm glad you did good words, that's good. But that's not going to get us into heaven. Well, God, you know, I've been above average in my behavior. You know, I, I look around and I can, find, I can find a lot of people, a lot of people that are doing things a lot worse than me, and I know I'm not doing really good things, but I can find a lot more people that are doing a lot worse. And so, therefore, if we're going to sort of grade it on that, then certainly I need a free pass into heaven. And that's not what happens. Nobody's going to get in on your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. <laughs> a lot of times we think, well, hey, I'm born in America and all Americans are Christian. Uh, Jesus is not going to look at our U.S. citizenship card. He's not. Jesus tells us there's only one path that leads into heaven. One. And this is what he said. Look at it with me on the screen. Jesus answered, I am what? The way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. The only way. Can I just tell you this? There are not seven ways to get to God. There's not. There's one way. And the only way to get to God, and Paul knew this, and, it's what he taught, and, and it was so propelling to his faith, the only way to get to God is through Jesus. Well, I need to hurry. Paul, sort of wrapping this up, he makes this statement, and we're about to see it on the screen. You saw it a few moments ago. Paul said, you know, when I reflect back over my life and I realize I have fought the fight, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, then he makes this statement, there is a crown reserved in heaven for me. I want you to take a look again at the way that he says it, again, continuing his language to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I want you to realize now there is in store for me, say it with me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me. Now, this ought to be the part that you and I like. Not only to me, read the rest of it with me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He said, this is ground for me but not just for me. This is an invitation to all, this crown, this place, this eternity. I mentioned to you that we would come back to crown of righteousness. A lot of you know this. Most of you probably do. When Paul said that, he said it in the context of realizing that a lot of the people that he was writing to, Timothy and those who were in and around his life, knew that there would be a crown that would be conferred upon people who were winners in, in the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games didn't start in modern history. They go all the way back to Paul's day. And he just sort of wanted to give them something that they could connect with. And he said, the crown of righteousness, the crown of righteousness, yeah, that's going to be awarded to all those, to me and to all those who love his appearing. He makes the statement, I told you we had come back to this. He says, the righteous judge, and, and this, this crown of righteousness is going to be conferred upon those. And you know where it's coming from, Timothy? It's coming from the righteous judge. And most scholars say this is not accidentally that he would say the righteous judge because quite possibly this is an implied contrast between the perfectly fair judge who is God and the perverted sense of justice that Paul knew firsthand as he suffered under the oppression of Emperor Nero, the righteous judge. Not what we're used to, Timothy, the righteous judge at the end of time. 
just ahead of Paul was something so incredibly superior to anything that he had ever experienced here. It was an amazing, endless life in heaven. And he knew it was his. Because, as we've seen, he fought the fight. He finished his race. He kept the faith. One writer in his attempt to describe heaven, it's one of, the most, uh, one of my most favorite statements I've ever read because I think it encapsulates a lot of what heaven's going to be like. This is what this particular writer said in describing heaven. It will be joy without measure. Think of your graduation day, your wedding day, your birthday, your child's birthday, your birthday, your child's birthday, summer vacation, promotion, retirement, good times with friends, affirmation from your parents, leading all your family members to Christ, good health. And then this writer says, what if every hour of every day you experience the glory and joy of all these events at once in their fullest intensity? And then I love what he adds, the intensity of heaven will be a trillion times greater than that. So you take, about, you take your greatest experiences that you've ever had in your entire life and you put them all together and it's like, friends, you, you just, every good thing that has ever happened in your life, you package it together and it's like every moment in heaven is going to be better than the combined net effect of all those things put together. And it's going to go on and on. And Paul said, I have no regrets. I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Let me tie this together before we're done tonight. Was this, in fact, the completion of Paul's life in this world? As he suspected it would be, and the answer to that is, yes, it was. We know because history and tradition tells us it was around late A.D. 66 or early 67 when Paul was executed in Rome. He lost his head. He was He was beheaded. History and tradition tells us that he was beheaded on the Ostian Way, which was an important road, road in ancient Rome that was about 19 miles long on the western edge of the city. But this is what we've got to know about him. He did not go kicking and screaming because he was absolutely certain that there was a crown and a life and a forever season just waiting in heaven for him. And how many of you know you and I can have that same confidence I love this statement. You'll see it on the screen, and we're going to wrap up. Look at this statement. I believe, this writer says, that the most amazing five minutes will be the first five minutes after you die. What will your first five minutes be? I told you this was sort of tethered to what we talked about last month. Are you sure? You're in right standing? Is your first five minutes going to be filled with enormous regret or that sense of reward? A number of years ago, I read this in a book, and I want to share it with you in closing. Brought it along with me tonight. Stories told many, many years ago. John Todd was a, very young, uh, was a very young boy when the death of his parents left him orphaned. He was one of several children, and as was common in the early 1800s, he and all his siblings were farmed out to relatives. An aunt offered to take little John. She sent a servant by the name of Caesar to bring little John to her. The boy climbed on the back of the horse, wrapped his small arms around the man, and set out for her house. His questions unveiled his fears. He asked, will she be there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Caesar answered. She'll be there waiting for you. Will I like, little John Todd, will I like living with her? My son, you're going to fall into very good hands. Will she love me? The servant was patient and soft in his reply. Ah, she, she's going to love you. She's got a big heart. 
Do you think she'll go to bed before we get there? Oh, no. Oh, no. She's not going to bed. You'll be sure to see when we get out of these woods, a candle in the window waiting just for you. Sure enough, as they neared the house, John saw a candle in the window and his aunt standing in the doorway. As he shyly approached the porch, she reached down and kissed him and said, Welcome home. Young John Todd grew up in his aunt's care. She was a mother to him. When the time came for him to select a profession, he followed a calling into the pastorate. Years later, the role with his aunt was reversed. She sent news of her failing health and impending death. Here's what she wrote in reply. My dear, here's what he wrote in reply. My dear aunt, years ago, I left a house of death not knowing where I was to go, whether anyone cared, whether it was the end of me. The ride was long, but the servant encouraged me. Finally, I arrived at your embrace in a new home. I was expected. I felt safe. You did it all for me. And then he says, now it's your turn to go. I'm writing to let you know somebody is waiting up. Your room is all ready. The light is on. The door is open. And you're expected. Paul says, it's behind me. I know my life is coming to an end. I've done everything I know to do, Timothy. No more time for me. But I fought the fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. And wouldn't it be beautiful? That would be true for every one of us that are in this sanctuary tonight. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Thank you, God. Lord, your word is so incredible. It is so powerful. And Paul's words to us, it's like he just spoke it to us last week, reminding us even when it's not easy, just keep on pressing, keep on moving forward, keep on fighting. It's worth it. Because for all of us, even in times when we feel up, feel like giving up or when we have questions or we have worries or concerns or doubts or fears, God, we do not throw in the towel. We just say, you know what? I'm going to keep pressing on because, just like Paul said, there's a crown of righteousness that the righteous judge has for me. And I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. My life may not be perfect. My life may not be easy. My life may not always be comfortable. But Jesus is with me, and Jesus is going to help me. Here in this place tonight, if you would just say, I'm walking through a tough time. I'm in the middle of my own battle. It may be in your health. It may be in your own family. It may be where you work. It may be in your mind, your emotions, your heart. But you're just like, oh, man. I just need, God help me. God help me. I want to keep pressing. I just want to stay true. I just want to keep fighting. I want to keep running. I want to keep the faith. I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not going to give up. How many of you know it's okay to get discouraged? It's all right. It's okay to have fears. We all have doubts. But Jesus is there, and he's going to help us. If you're here tonight and you just say, hey, I'm walking, I'm walking through a time and it's just not an easy time. It's not a comfortable time for me right now and I need prayer. I need God's help. Would you just lift your hand across this sanctuary and just put it straight up in the air and just say, I need God's help. I need God's strength. I'm walking through a battle, whatever that battle may be, whatever that battle may be. And we keep pressing on and we keep fighting. 
During this series, we've been talking about miracles. Some of you need a miracle in your body. Some of you need a miracle in your heart. You need a miracle in your emotions. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you don't give up. You may have been praying for a long, long time, but tonight, this night, may be the very night that God provides a breakthrough in your life, and you receive the miracle that God has for your life. So we're here around this altar. The worship team's going to lead us, and we're going to take a few minutes. Whatever your need is, whether you need healing, whether you're walking through a challenge, whatever you're up against, I want you to come, and I want you to give us a chance to pray for you. As they begin to sing, you start coming, and we're going to pray, and we're going to trust God and believe God for you in this place tonight.
presence tonight. Here in your presence, all things are new. Here in your presence, everything bows before you. It's not too late to come to this altar if you still want to come and have somebody pray with you before you're before you leave. I imagine Paul had times in his life where if you could have caught him in just moments of honesty and transparency, and in some of his lowest, toughest moments, he would admit, hey, this is not easy for me right now. I'm going through a struggle. I'm going through a battle. But I think that we would hear Paul say something like this. Jesus would never quit on me, so why would I ever quit on Jesus? And I think you and I ought to just adopt that. Just say, hey, you know, life is not always going to be easy. But Jesus will never quit on me. And I most certainly am never going to quit on Jesus. I will serve him to my dying day with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength. Can we give Jesus some praise in this place tonight? God, we love you so much. We thank you that even when we feel weak, you make us strong. And even in our deepest trials and our most difficult battles, we're never alone. You are with us. And you're going to be with us this week. Bring us back to your house on Wednesday. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.